0: isn't it wonderful to be in the presence of God and just in the house and seeing God doing such wonderful things? <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, and knowing that our family grows with yet more babies. Uh, it seems to be a uh, a condition of the house at the moment. There's a lot of women suffering from it, and uh, uh, it just sort of it, it's it's happening, isn't it? It's uh, so um, we just wonder how many more. Uh, children are going to be uh, popping out uh, all over the place. So that's what happens. i tell you what, that's what happens when people fall in love. That's the problem. That's it. There we go. <laughs> so, so good. Wonderful. Uh, this uh, We're continuing our found series, and um, I know that the Holy Spirit is doing something very special. When we started this series, the Holy Spirit has come upon this church in a fresh and new way, in a way that... Uh, as I said uh, some weeks ago, I felt like I had been born again, and uh, the Spirit of God has touched me. You're going to hear a lot more about that on Vision Sunday. I'm going to talk a lot more about how the Holy Spirit is deposited on um, all of us, and uh, many prophetic words, and, and much of the vision is not going to be just about what uh, we're hoping to be doing in, in, in 2018. Uh, it's about the prophetic voice, and I'm going to be prophesying a lot about what is happening in the house, and, yeah. and what the Holy Spirit wants to do with our worship. And uh, I, I've shared before, I, I, I believe that um, Acts 15 uh, is is a key scripture in, in these things, that the, the worshipping church is, is, is uh, where the, the Lord says he's restoring the tabernacle of David, and, and David's tabernacle uh, was, was um, a tabernacle of worship, that you got access to the Holy of Holies through worship, which is a, a prophetic image of the church, and the church is a worshipping church, amen, yes. and, and I believe God wants to God wants to bring a new voice of worship in the house, and, and in every in every uh, culture, in, in in every generation, there must come a fresh voice of worship, yeah. because every generation must define their worship and their voice. It, it is a that there is there's a, there's a beauty in. Uh, we were just talking um, in the car on the way over about um, the the older generation, how they were raised on their hymns and. Uh, the um, Josephine was telling us about um, this lovely old lady that um, was singing away hymns while she was getting her uh, t- having blood taken and uh, had this um, uh, doctor who was kind of what are you okay? She said, I'm, I'm just singing, and he said, What are you singing? Oh, just hymns and psalms. She, I've got a lot of them in my head, she said, and and it's a it's a beautiful thing. It's um, um, Cheryl's grandmother was um. Uh, was a, a very grandmother and grandfather, was a um, very influential person in my life. And one of the things about her grandmother was, was, uh, the, the purity and the, the innocence, the, the uncompromising faith in Jesus Christ. And, and this this wonderful zeal for the, for God in a, a very traditional sense. I remember chatting to her. She could not understand why I wouldn't read the King James Bible. Uh, and uh, when I tried explaining, I didn't understand it. She just said, "Well, you need to read it." And uh, <laughs> and uh, so, um, but but the beauty of that generation was their worship was was a was an essence of their, of their generation. It, 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 how they spoke, it, it defined their generation and it, and it brought forth the purity of it and it defined their culture and, and the godliness we see in the older generation As they grew up in those, in that church environment and the beauty of the older generation as they follow God is that the worship that they encountered God in has carried them through till now. And, and this wonderful old lady and, uh, these many, many sort of older generations who grew up with hymns um, and and psalms um, and worshiping those is is, is it, it was the root cause in which they came got access to the, the heavenlies amen and the the, the mercy seat and, and that defined gives them strength. My father would just sing hymns. He would just, he had so many hymns and psalms he could recite just a whole hymn book of, of of songs. He knew them all off by heart and and it defined that generation. But but you have to understand that that God. Um, is in the business of writing songs today, uh, because this generation needs to, needs to worship and needs to define the voice of what God is doing in the house. And, and there is a message of unspoken grace, um, over this generation. And what I mean by unspoken grace, um, is, is that there is a, while there is nothing new under the sun, there is no new message. There's no new revelation from the Bible. I need you to understand that. That everything we teach has, has, has has is it's already been taught. But every culture creates its own crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every culture creates its own crisis. And today's culture has a crisis. Yeah. But the grace of God is there to resolve that crisis. Yeah. And so what happens is that there is an unspoken grace. Because with this is a fresh crisis. This is a, this is man's, ability to create its own problem God's grace is sufficient to resolve that and comes a fresh message of grace for today's crisis which is what empowers worship because out of worship worship is is resolving and bringing healing to a community by the message of grace that, that speaks over the crisis of this generation. And so the house of God is going to be a house of worship. I've told you before, if I'm telling you once, I'm telling you again. I'll tell you a thousand times. I've seen this place packed out with worship. I've seen flags, I'm telling you. I don't know why. I thought we got rid of the flags. I had had an open vision in worship and it just appeared. Um, There was Heidi, she was leading worship and her face disappeared which is worrying and uh, (laughs) I wasn't on any medication at the time (laughs) and a window opened and I saw the church worshipping and in that worship I saw people just pushing in to praise God and they were flags were in the worship (laughs) (laughs) And it troubles me, but I would have to be a liar if I didn't tell you it was there. If it was... <laughs> and God is doing something extraordinary in the house. And and in that vision, a lot of what I saw in that moment is helping to define everything that God has been giving us in terms of our vision for 2018 up until that point. It suddenly all started to make sense. And so I really believe that God is doing something very powerful. Uh, and this morning, I, I, I want to speak about what it means to be found in the goodness of God. Mm -hmm. Found in his goodness. Uh, I I know that for all of us, there is is an uncertainty to our faith. Mm -hmm. For all of us, there is an uncertainty. And that uncertainty is found in our experience of failure. Mm -hmm. You with me here? Our experience of failure, the stumbling and tripping up over ourselves, over things we prayed for and not seen who knows what i'm talking about yeah. see see god is in this place and as he begins to move in our hearts he challenges our heart to rise to faith here comes the here comes the 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 the, the trip point the point is that there are moments before when we've believed but we've struggled to get a result mm-hmm. and and in that creates this creates this uncertainty of of faith because in that we we have a doubt, but we also have an assurance because there have been moments we've believed, and it's just yeah. there. It's like we we all experienced this moment of prayer. And seen a result. And we believe in Jesus because of that. Even if that result was just, please, Jesus, come into my heart. And feeling the the wash away of, of, of all of your past and that sense of redemption, that sense of hope and establishment coming into your heart. That sense of great faith. We know who God is, and yet within ourselves there's this great struggle on the inside because we have our we have this. Faith, but it's like the man with the, with the son who um, is demon possessed and he says, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to reach you Psalms 23 and I'm going to preach from Psalms 23. Is that all right? Yeah. It's a good one to start from, isn't it? Yeah. Psalm 23 and verse 1. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When David started to write his worship songs, he just totally transformed the theology of the Old Testament church, Israel. He's transforming it because until that point, There was the understanding of the law and the need to walk according to the law, but not a reason why. And if you follow the law without knowing the reason for the law, you become legalistic, not liberated. And Jesus came to set us free. The reason for the law was to set people free. Under the law was healing. Okay. Jesus healed according to the law of the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. Not according to the cross of the new. Yeah, that's right. mm-hmm. You with me here? Because yeah. he hadn't died on the cross. <laughs> so everything he did before the cross was according to the law of the Old Testament. Yeah. You with me here? Mm-hmm. It shows you how much grace. That's why when Jesus said, and you should do these things and much more. Because he was acting according to the Old Testament, but we have the covenant of the new. Yeah. Yeah. And he hadn't cut that covenant yet. And so the law was a beautiful thing, but when followed legalistically, it becomes a destructive thing. It's a little bit like sort of understanding we have house rules. At home, there are house rules for which I'm forever getting in trouble for not following. One of those is shoes in the lounge. Walk into the kitchen. The thing is, you walk into the kitchen, you've got your shoes on. I've got to go into the lounge, maybe upstairs, back down again, and back into the kitchen. I don't want to take my shoes off, but it's a, a light colour carpet, and Cheryl has rules, right? And uh, they're rules that, technically, they're not Cheryl's, they're ours because we're husband and wife. However, there are. <laughs> There are those <laughs> implementation of some of those rules are more strictly adhered to by my wife, who will remind me of the nature of the rules. But the rule isn't just so that if I walk in the in the house and then break the rule, then I feel like I'm a bad person and I must take I must not wear shoes in the lounge because it's the rule. There's a reason for the rule. The reason is, we want a nice carpet. It makes for a nice room. And when you enjoy the rule, you enjoy the house. So David understood. It wasn't about the law, it was about the relationship. The rules were rules of the house that helped keep the relationship pure and open. Amen? And so David starts to write this Psalm, And he begins to define an extraordinary relationship with God. And he begins to create this understanding that you can walk with the Lord and his hand will be upon you. But Psalm 23 verse 6 sets the, the tone and really kind of defines. He's leading us all the way through. To what it's all about. And in 23 verse 6 it says this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now if you're going to be found by God. To be found you've got to know where you're found in. If I've been found then I'm no longer lost. Right. If I'm found and no longer lost. That's a change of position. If I'm lost, I'm, I'm, I'm away somewhere in a place I don't know where I am. Yeah. If I'm found, then I'm back home. I know this sounds like Sunday school, right? <laughs> if I'm found, then I'm back home. So, so David is establishing where home is yeah. and how he got there. How did I get? Home. How do you get into a place? And he says this, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Goodness and mercy. Cheryl preached on this a a couple of years ago, I think it was. Goodness and mercy shall overtake me, it means. Mm -hmm. In other words, it shall pursue me. Goodness and mercy shall pursue me and shall overtake me. That there is a sense of the goodness of God. Now, I need you to understand this because your faith is limited to your experience and expectation of God's goodness yeah. your faith is limited let me say this again your faith is limited to your expectation and your experience yeah. of God's goodness now if we are going to have goodness overtake us we have to have an understanding of what it means to live In the goodness of God. When we come back to the man with the son who was sick and he didn't have a, he didn't have the faith. Jesus' disciples didn't have the faith to cast it out. And we get to that point in uh, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 22. We'll read it from there. Uh, for those of you, if you don't know the story, a man has a, a son who would fit uh, and um, throw himself into the fire many times, and, and uh, he was he was uh, uh, had a dumb; um, he couldn't speak, um, and he um, would just have these fits and throw into the fire, and, and they couldn't heal him. And so Jesus turns up. And when he turns up, this is what the man says to him. And many times he's thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And I love this moment. This is is one of those few moments in the Bible when it seems to catch Jesus off guard. There are one or two moments, some of them because of people's faith, this one because of their unbelief. They're kind of this sense of, and this, this sense of, you can almost feel Jesus getting offended at this moment. This is a moment, if I can. Jesus repeats the question, if I can. It's an astonishing thing that anyone would ask Jesus, if I can. If you can do anything. See, what shocked Jesus at this moment was here was a Jewish man who grew up under a Jewish covenant who had the history dating back to Abraham of a God- of extraordinary favor, of extraordinary redemption, of healing and restoration, of, of everything which has been stolen should be restored back to you. Here is a Jewish man who should know the fullness of the promise. And yet his response is this if I can. This is not like the centurion who is not a Jew but understands the fullness of the power and the authority of God and says, just say a word. And Jesus stands back in amazement and says, never have I found such faith in all Israel. Even the poor woman who he completely, the uh, Canaanite woman who he completely seems to treat with with apparent disrespect, and he just she's begging for her daughter to be healed, and and he says, "Look, it's not. This is not. Um, I didn't come for these uh, for this uh, for you. I came for the nation of Israel." And she said, "Even the dogs get the crumbs that that fall from the master's table." And Jesus is taken a step back because here is a woman who has no history of grace. No, no. There's no historical record of any kind of understanding of how you would understand the grace and the goodness of God. And yet even here, she can see that there are crumbs which fall from the grace. Here is Jesus ministering to Israel, but there's always something that's left over for, for the others. And, and, and she understood that here is it: someone who, who should have no knowledge of grace, understood grace, understood the power of God and and received it. And here's Jesus looking at a man who's not like the the Canaanite or the centurion. He has all the history. He's got all the teaching. He's got all the the traditions and everything that should lead him to that point of understanding that Jesus can. And he uses his words, if. If. If you can. I was brought up in a traditional church. And we would pray. If it be thy will Lord. And. You, you can mock that. We, we were taught to mock it as we were. As we were sort of growing up in an atmosphere of faith. But I also understand that that. To some degree is also a little foolish. Because we need to know the will of the Lord. And to make an assumption that we know the will. Is also foolish. However. We know a lot more of the will of the Lord than just that simple, if it be thy will, which is, a, it's, it is by nature, it sets a definition of doubt. Yeah. Well, we don't really know, but if it's your will, Lord. When the Bible sets, sets this extraordinary precedence, you see, what the Jewish man, the father, didn't understand, he had no concept of, was the goodness of God. And because he didn't know the goodness of God, his faith was unable to reach to it. Mm -hmm. You see, here is the struggle with your faith. If your faith can't get to grips with God's goodness, if you can't get to grips with his goodness, you can never lay hold of what it is you claim. All right? See, See, there is a problem with the church in that they're constantly asking these questions and constantly trying to go, God, can you do this for me? Can you, can you, Lord, I declare, I'm believing for healing. But here's the problem. People are believing for things, objects, and trying to lay hold of them. And Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says, if you have faith as a mustard seed. And we have to understand that a mustard seed faith is not about enough faith. It's about quality of faith. I spoke this last last week. It's quality of faith. How many (laughs) trees? I, I spoke this last week. How many trees will you find in the seed of a sycamore? A sycamore seed, how many trees are in that? Billions. Billions are in that one seed because of its power of multiplication. Mustard seed, it is not about the size of your faith. People are trying to generate more faith. If you struggle with your faith, you're struggling, you want to get more faith. It's the wrong prayer. It's the wrong prayer. You don't want to get more faith. You want your faith to have a quality. Now, where does quality come from? How do you get a concept of, of quality? How do, you, how do you get to that place where you can begin to ask of God and know that you have a faith that can move mountains? Are you with me? Now... Oliver Cromwell, who doesn't, he, Oliver Cromwell doesn't. Um, he, he, history doesn't speak well of him, because he was a Puritan and he was, and uh, he was a contradictory figure in today's mindset, in today's culture. But he was a man of God, nonetheless, and he did love God um, for all of his contradictions uh, and the way he operated uh, as the. Leader that um, oversaw the overthrow uh, of the monarchy and the restoration of a uh, the restoration ultimately of a a monarchy that served God rather than ruled the spiritual climate of this nation. And Oliver Cromwell said this: He went into battle, uh, and he he said this. He said, "I have won every battle before I go out. I've won it in here." He said he won every battle before he fought. This is in the, the, um, in the 17th century, 1600s. Oliver Cromwell is fighting the King of England uh, and he, over, he overthrows the King of England because he goes and he goes into battle because he wins it in here. Now, the greatest battle of your life is not the circumstances you're having out there. It's the thought life you're having in here. The greatest battle of your life is what's going on in in, between your ears every day. It's what's going on. What are you thinking about? How do you think? Most people's thoughts. I spoke this, James said this. A psychiatrist has spoken and said 80% of our thought life is negative. Most people I've met, it's often slightly more than that, to be honest. But We have to understand that if 20% of our thought life naturally is positive, it's extraordinary what 20% can achieve. It's extraordinary what 20% what goodness can produce out of it. Now, great men and women of faith are this. We know that David suffered some terrible... His, his thought life took him some terrible places and he did some terrible things. But he was still denoted as one of the great men of God because he had an understanding of the goodness of God. Now, Oliver Cromwell said he won the battle on the inside. You see, if your faith is constrained, it's because you haven't won the battle of goodness over the issue you're praying for. If you, see, if you haven't won a battle over the issue of finance and you're praying for money, you're praying from a defeated position, not a winning position. Yeah. That's good. Now, the battle isn't an overcoming because faith overcomes, right? Yeah. Faith overcomes. So we're not, we don't have to overcome the circumstance. We have to overcome the mindset. And the mindset is this, David wrote Psalm 23 most probably he wrote it when he was suffering from the condition from Absalom his suffering civil war Absalom is racing against him he's uh, his kingdom is divided he's been his his throne has been stolen from him momentarily and here he is on the running away from his own throne his son is after him and he writes this Psalm 23 he declares and what did he say let's just read that again from the beginning let's just read what he writes this is Psalm. this is king david on the run from his own son who's trying to destroy him the lord is my shepherd i shall not want He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue and overtake me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, David was writing from the principle of He knew the goodness of God. You see, if you want faith, if you want to be found in the presence of God, you want to have faith to overcome any circumstance, you've got to win that battle, the warfare in your heart, and knowing the goodness of God over your life. I've discovered this, that one of the, the greatest battles of our life, for Cheryl and I, has been over the issue of finance, because we were, grew up in poverty and debt. It was a generational uh, it was a generational issue, uh, and it's an issue of, a, um, of just living in poverty and, and always on the edge of, of prosperity, but never breaking through. And poverty, I grew up in poverty. I didn't have second-hand clothes. My clothes were four or five <laughs> times of being worn before I got to them. My feet would grow through my shoes before I got new ones and only got new ones if there weren't any second hand ones to wear <laughs> poverty was part of our life let me tell you something I can guarantee you... That that financial constraint... That the circumstances of money... Has no impact on me... Whatsoever... I never lose... I used to lose sleep... Over I'm unable to pay the bills... Over letters from the bank manager... Over circumstances... I would lose sleep over that stuff... I can guarantee you... Those things don't even touch my consciousness... They have no impact on me at all... Do you know why? Because the revelation of the goodness of God, of His provision over my life is so sufficient that yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I won the battle. I'm confident of those things. Yet there are areas of my life in where I am pursuing and understanding this full goodness because I know that it's not the battle of winning the thing by faith. It's winning the battle of having confidence in his goodness. The goodness, knowing the goodness of God to provide for every aspect of your life. Goodness and mercy shall overtake me. You see, he's saying, if I'm going to dwell in the house of God and hear of it, let me give you four Ps to finish with. (laughs) A little bit of something to chew on, four Ps to go home with. (laughs) To know his goodness, you must know these four things. These are the four things that David writes about in Psalms 23. To discover his goodness, you've got to, number one, know his presence. know his presence number two you must know his peace number three you must know his provision and number four you must know his protection you see God is God of presence peace provision and protection that's a definition of his goodness you see his goodness is bigger than the thing you're believing for. We struggle to believe for healing, restoration. If you go pursuing healing and restoration, you go pursuing a thing without ever knowing his goodness, you'll never get there. You'll never get there because faith is the evidence of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things hoped for. In other words... The thing which you hope for is the thing which you found in his goodness. Yeah. Yeah. You spent time in his presence. You rested. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want anything else or anyone else. He's my shepherd. He leads me to lie down by still waters. It doesn't get much more beautiful than that, does it? Right in the midst of your battle, there you are. It's a beautiful, it's a warm, sunny day. You're under, the, you're under a tree with the dappled sunlight and a gentle breeze blowing, blowing across your face. You can smell the scent of leaves and pines. And you feel just the evidence of the goodness of God. His anointing come and touches you. And then he begins to provide for you. In the midst of other, there's chaos going on around your world. Chaos. Madness. But God's feeding you. He's bringing you to a place, the actual the table, leading me to a table. That ta- that's a judgment seat table. It's not just an eating table, it's a seat of authority. It means to sit at a place where you can speak with authority. So as we, he leads us to this place, he covers and he protects. When you know the goodness, you win that battle in your heart, you will know how to win any battle you face in the natural realm. If we can have a church it's my desperate cry. My prayer my prayer has been over these last few weeks has been this this simple thing this revelation that I got on God's goodness is when I'm praying I'm going God how much am I aware of your goodness in my life over these things no with my own health I've had to battle with confidence I've said this and I prophesy it out I wasn't born with diabetes, and I won't die with it. All right? But you got to know the goodness of God to take you through. Yes. I was telling the church in Denmark when I was there a couple of weeks ago that my stats, my health stats are extraordinarily good. I look at myself in the mirror and can't believe it because I know what I look like with that no let's not even go to that picture. You. you don't want to see that you want to think about that right I don't physically feel like I'm as healthy as I should be but the nurse is going to me Mr. Upson I you obviously work out because you're you, you're, you're so healthy you, you're weight and everything yes yes I do work out <laughs> it's not a every figure perfect has been for the last three, four visits I haven't seen the stats before that and while I'm looking at them they would never showed me before the stats they just would keep the information to themselves I'm looking at them and I'm I'm looking at I'm going this is the goodness of my God and if I know his goodness I know the full width of it I know the full capacity of of my god to heal to give me power authority and faith to overcome every situation the goodness of god over your life is you've got to know that even if you're in the middle of it it's not a story you tell afterwards it's a story you tell in the middle of i know the goodness of my god thanks for listening